Please turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Kings, chapter 6. Second Kings chapter 6, and I'll read verses 14 down through verse 23. Second Kings chapter 6, verse 14. And he, that is Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. Now when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And he answered, That is Elisha. He answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes, the servant's eyes, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when they had come, when they came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people with blindness, I pray. So he struck them and blind with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Then Elisha said to them, This is not the way. Nor is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he brought them to Samaria. And it came about when they had come into Samaria that Elijah said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw. And behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. Then the king of Israel, when he saw them, said to Elijah, My father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? And he answered, You shall not kill them. Would you kill those who have you who those you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master. And the marauding bands of the Arameans, or the Syrians, did not come again into the land of Israel. The ancient king of the nation of Aram, or the nation of Syria, as we know it today, was an evil man. At this time, his name was Ben-Hadad, and for years, Ben-Hadad had been at war with the nation of Israel. On many occasions, he had sent down bands of commando raiders to attack the coast of Israel. Every time they came, the Israelite army would know precisely the place of their attack, and the Israelites would be standing ready on the shore, armed and fortified, and waiting for their assault. On every occasion, the Syrians had to withdraw and return and report back to Ben-Hadad that their plans had been frustrated. The Israelites always seemed to know the place of their attack. Ben-Hadad eventually discovered that the reason for this was because of the prophet whose name was Elisha. 
And Elijah, from God, knew their secret plans, and he knew every word that Ben-Hadad would speak in his war council. He knew even the words that he spoke in his own bedroom, and Elijah revealed them to the king of Israel, who sent out his army and stationed them for their attack. So Ben-Hadad, now he came up with a new scheme, and he decided to send down an entire army, a vast army down into Israel to capture the one man, Elijah. And we read in verse 14, this is what he did. He sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and they surrounded the city, the city of Dotham. And then we read of what happens in verses 15 through 17. The attendant of the man of God rose early in the morning, went out and looked and There was this great army of horses and chariots encircling the city. And he said to Elijah there in verse 15, he said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He saw no way of escape. He seemed to have no hope. They were soon to be put to death. He cries out in despair, my master, what shall we do? Elijah did not fear. Because Elijah was a man of faith and he believed in the promises of God to be with them. And he believed that God would send his angels to protect them. And he prayed that the Lord would open the eyes of his servant. And the Lord did. And then his servant saw, as we see at the end of verse 17, that the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. So what Elijah had said was true. There is no reason to fear for those who are with us are more than those who are with them, as he said in verse 16. In the words of Elijah here, as we saw in our last study in the life of Elijah, the words of Elijah are as true for us today as God's people as they were back then. Because there is this invisible world that is all around us. Part of the great conflict that takes place in this world between the powers of heaven and the powers of hell. The air is filled with spiritual powers, principalities. And God has his mighty angels that he sends from heaven to guard his people in the midst of all their dangers. And if we could see, as Elijah saw on this occasion, then we would know that there are more who are with us than those who are with them. With all the darkness and the powers of the world against us. When our fears grow, then we must have great thoughts of God and of his invisible powers, which are all around us. And we must pray that our eyes would be opened and that we would see the sovereignty, the power of God upon his throne in heaven over his people and his mighty angels whom he sends to protect and to guard his people in every time of danger and need. Matthew Henry writes on this passage that the opening of our eyes will be the silencing of our fears. The opening of our eyes silences Our fears, and he writes, in the dark, we are most apt to be frightened. 
The clearer sight we have of the sovereignty and the power of heaven, the less we shall fear the calamities of this earth. So as we continue and we look at the rest of the following verses, we see now in verses 18 and following what Elijah does with the invading Syrian army in verse 18 through 20. And when they came down to him, Elijah prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people with blindness, I pray. So he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Then Elisha said to them, This is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he brought them to Samaria. And it came about when they had come into Samaria that Elisha said, Open, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw. And behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. Now the city of Dothan, where Elijah was, was located on the top of a mountain with other mountains surrounding it. In verse 18, Elijah, apparently he came down out of the city of Dothan and he began to go down into the valley. And when the, Assyri- when the Syrian army saw him, they came down from the surrounding mountains to capture, their purpose was to capture Elisha. And then, as we see in verse 18, Elijah prayed that they would be struck with blindness And the Lord sent a kind of blindness upon the entire Syrian army, not a literal blindness, so that they could not see anything at all, for if it was a complete blindness, they would have been unable to walk and follow Elijah. But it was a sort of mental delusion so that they did not know who they were speaking with and where he was bringing them. And it shows here the power of God over the minds of men. That this great Syrian army has come down into Israel to capture Elijah. And Elijah was the first man that they met with. And yet they did not know that it was him. The first man they met with in an enemy land. And they were willing to follow him wherever He led them. And now with a blindness over the entire Syrian army, Elijah led that army as captives into Samaria, which was the capital city of Israel at that time, the northern kingdom. And Elijah became the leader of the entire Syrian army. Elijah, the leader of the Assyrian army, and not a single voice in that army was raised up against it. A blindness that God sent over the entire army. While all of this was going on, Ben-Hadad was back up in his old land of Syria. What frustration he would have felt if he knew what was happening with his great army that he had sent down into Israel. He had sent down this great army with horses and chariots to capture a single man, Elijah, 
And now that single man, that single man has taken his entire army as captives. And he is leading them like sheep to be slaughtered into his own capital city. Some have thought that Elijah here, perhaps he lied to the Syrians in verse 19 when he told them, this is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. To deceive an enemy in a time of war has always been regarded as a justifiable tactic. And Elijah really, he did not lie to them. He fulfilled his word because he eventually led them to the man they desired to see, who was himself. The journey to Samaria was about four hours on foot. We can imagine the amazement of the city guards at the city of Samaria as they saw Elijah arriving with the entire Syrian army behind him and leading them captive through the city gates. And then what shock the Syrians must have known when their eyes were suddenly opened and they found themselves in the midst of their enemy's capital. And what terror must have seized them as they realized what had happened to them. They were in the hands of the Israelites. And from what they would have thought at the time, they were about to be all put to death. This is what the king of Assyria, who was Jehoram at the time, he wanted to do to them, as we see in verse 21. The king of Israel, Jehoram, when he saw them in the city now of Samaria, he said to the prophet Elijah, he said, my father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? We see what eagerness he had to put this army to death, and he thought he surely could accomplish it. Twice he asked Elijah, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? But Elijah has a completely different plan. We see in verses 22 and 23. And he, Elijah, answered, You shall not kill them. Would you kill those who have taken you have taken captive with your sword or with your bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared Jehoram a great feast for them. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master, Ben-Hadad. And the marauding bands of the Arameans, the Syrians, did not come again into the land of Israel. So Elijah commanded Jehoram to feed the captives, prepare a great feast for them. A most amazing sight, the invading army of the Syrians now enjoys this great banquet in the capital city of their enemies in Samaria. And when they are done, when they were done, they were sent back in peace to their master, Ben-Hadad. In all of military history, there has perhaps never been a stranger scene than what took place on this occasion. A great army invades another nation, to capture a single man, they meet that single man 
but they do not recognize who he is. He blinds them, and then that single man leads the entire army across miles into his own capital city, and rather than putting him to death there, he sits the invading army down to a great feast, and then he sends them home in peace. There has never been perhaps a more strange, a stranger or more bizarre event in all the military history of the world. God was certainly in control of everything that took place in this occasion. And we might ask the question, it is a good question, we should ask the question, why did God, why did God have all of this take place? And why is this recorded in the Old Testament Scripture? Did all of this simply take place to amuse us with a strange and unusual story? Is this just an historical event which we should regard as interesting but without any real and lasting meaning or significance? The answer to those questions is found in who Elijah was as God's prophet. And we remind ourselves of what we've seen on previous occasions, that Elijah was a type of Christ, a type of Jesus Christ who was to come. And by a type of Christ, what we mean is that there were certain things about Elijah which point us ahead and foreshadow the person of Jesus Christ. There are aspects of his life and ministry which correspond to the life and ministry of Jesus. We might consider the timing of Elijah's ministry. Elijah came immediately after the prophet Elijah. And the Bible makes it clear that Elijah in the Old Testament corresponds to John the Baptist in the New Testament. John the Baptist was Elijah who was to come. And just as Jesus followed John the Baptist in the New Testament, so Elijah followed Elijah in the Old Testament. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Christ. Elijah was the forerunner of Elijah. And so we see in the timing of his ministry, this correspondence between Elijah in the Old Testament and Christ in the New Testament. Elijah is a type, a foreshadowing of Christ to come. Then we can consider the character of Elijah's ministry. That his ministry was like that of our Lord Jesus Christ. It was a ministry of the mercy and the kindness of God. Elijah performed many great miracles. Every one of his miracles was an act of divine compassion and mercy, nearly every one. They were like those of our Lord Jesus Christ. He, he took away the curse. He healed the waters of Jericho so that they were healthy again. He multiplied the loaves of bread for the sons of the prophets, just as Jesus multiplied the loaves for the many thousands. Elijah raised the Shumanite woman's son from the dead, just as 
Jesus raised the dead as well. He healed, Elijah healed the leprosy of Naaman. Jesus healed the leprosy in the New Testament. His ministry was always characterized by this kindness and this benevolence. And so in the character of his ministry, we see in the kind of his miracles that he performs that Elijah was a likeness of Jesus who was to come. We remember as well the central purpose of the entire Old Testament scripture, which was to show us Jesus who is to come. This is what Jesus taught the two men on the road to Emmaus. He said, beginning, beginning with, Luke tells us this, that beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scripture, in all the Old Testament scripture. Moses and all the prophets and the Old Testament scripture are all meant to show us Jesus Christ. And surely this was true of Elijah here, that his life and ministry are recorded for us because he is a type of Christ who was to come. And so this is our key in our understanding the significance of what took place on this occasion, that this is not just an amusing and interesting story. But the things which Elijah does, did here, were meant to show us our Lord Jesus Christ, who was to come. And we think of three of these things this morning. The first is that Elijah opened the eyes of the blind. Elijah opened the eyes of the blind. And he did so both physically and spiritually. On this occasion, we see it with his own servant. His eyes are opened spiritually to see the mountain that is full of the horses and chariots of fire. And then we see it with the entire Syrian army that he first blinded them, that he might bring them into Samaria and then show mercy to them there by opening their eyes again in a physical opening of their eyes. To instantaneously open the eyes of a blind man is clearly an act of supernatural and divine power. And here we have it not just with a single man, but with an entire great army. They were blind and then their eyes were opened by Elijah that they might see. No man has ever by his own strength Open the eyes of another man. It is always a work of divine supernatural power. And if we were to trace out this great miracle of opening the eyes of the blind throughout the entire history of the Bible, we would find some rather remarkable things. And the first thing that we would find is that this is the first time that such a miracle had ever taken place in Scripture Elijah is the first man ever recorded in the pages of the Bible to open the eyes of the blind. And not only that, he is the only man in the entire Old Testament scripture who ever opens the eyes of the blind. After Elijah, the only time this great miracle is referred to again throughout the rest of the Old Testament scriptures is in the prophecies 
of the coming Messiah. To open the eyes of the blind was one of the miracles predicted by the prophets of the coming Savior. It would be one of the marks of his coming. This is what Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 35 and verse 5. He says, then the eyes of the blind will be opened. In Isaiah 42 and verse 1, God announces the coming of the Savior, his servant. He says, behold, my servant whom I uphold. My chosen one in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And then the father says of his beloved son, he says, I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, to open blind eyes. That's what the servant would come to do, to open the eyes of the blind. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. They handed him the book of Isaiah. He opened it to chapter 61, and he began to read what was written of him, that the Spirit of the Lord, he said, is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, and he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery, recovery of sight to the blind to open the eyes of the blind. It was one of the distinguishing marks of the coming Savior. And this is what we find when we come to the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. The prophecies are all fulfilled. Many occasions, this was one of his great miracles to open the eyes of the blind. He would use different means to accomplish it. Sometimes he would touch the eyes of the blind and their eyes would be opened. Other times that he would take clay and he would apply the clay to their eyes and sometimes he would cast out a demon and the dumb would hear and they would see as well. Luke tells us in his gospel that Jesus cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits, and and he granted sight to many who were blind. Mark Matthew, rather, he writes in his gospel that Jesus was in the temple. On one occasion, the blind and the lame came to him, and he healed them. To open the eyes of the blind, it was one of the distinguishing marks, the distinguishing miracles of the coming Savior in Jesus Christ. It was one of the evidences that he was the Messiah. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus was, or rather John the Baptist was in prison. And John was confused and wondering if Jesus really was the Messiah. And so John sent his disciples to Jesus asking him, are you the expected one or should we look for someone else? And Jesus answered and said to him, go and report to John what you hear and see. And then he began to list out his miracles as proof that he was the coming Messiah. And the first miracle that he mentioned was the blind receive sight. It was proof that he was the Savior And it is a remarkable fact, as far as I can determine, as far as I can remember, 
if anyone can bring further information to me, I would be glad to see it. But as far as I know, there are only two men in the Bible who open the eyes of the blind. They are Elijah in the passage before us and Jesus in the New Testament scripture. The only exception to that rule seems to be when Ananias in Acts chapter 9, after the apostle Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he could not see. He was blinded for a period of time. He was in the house. Ananias was sent to him. And Ananias announced to him that he was sent to restore his sight. Now, Ananias did nothing except to appear before Jesus, and the scales fell off off his eyes so that he could see, and it was clearly Jesus who did the miracle. And so we could talk about that miracle. But apart from Ananias, it is a remarkable thing that there is no record in the New Testament of Jesus' apostles ever healing, giving sight to the blind. In fact, when Jesus sends them out to preach, he gives them powers over demons. He sends them out. He says, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead and preach the gospel to the poor. But he never tells them to open the eyes of the blind. So there are two men who open the eyes of the blind Elijah in the Old Testament, Jesus in the New Testament. Elijah is a type of Christ who was to come. With so many other miracles of Elijah, he is like Christ. This is another one. He opens the eyes of the blind. Now, Elijah opened the eyes of men both physically and spiritually. Physically and spiritually, just like Jesus did as well. And Jesus would open the eyes of men physically to symbolize his much greater work of opening their eyes spiritually. And this is the great need of every man or woman. Every boy or girl is to have our eyes spiritually, the spiritual eyes of our heart opened to the truth of the gospel that we might be saved. Because we are all born. We are all born spiritually blind into this world. We are born from our mother's wombs. We are blind We are blind to who God is. And all of his glory that is all around us in this world. We are blind to the reality of how great a predicament that our sin has placed us in. We are blind to the terrible reality that the wrath of God abides upon us by birth. We are blind to the eternal realities that are before every one of us, that there is an eternal heaven and there is an eternal hell, and we will all be in one or the other in a very short time. And worst of all, We are blind 
to the only way of salvation and to the great mercy of God that is found only in Jesus Christ. We need our eyes to be opened. We need our minds to understand and believe in the gospel and to enter in that we might see that narrow gate that is the way of repentance and faith to enter into the narrow way that leads to life. If our spiritual eyes are not opened, then we will perish in our sins. Our only hope is for Jesus in the New Testament who opens the eyes of the blind. That's what he does. Not just physically, but spiritually. He has the power to open the eyes of the blind. You remember, he was on the road. Bartimaeus began to cry out to him, Son of David, Lord. He cried, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And he kept on crying out and his, the disciples of Jesus tried to reprove him and to ignore him and he kept crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. And Jesus stopped and he opened the eyes of that blind man, Bartimaeus. This is your only hope here today. If you have never seen Jesus as the savior of sinners in the Bible, is to go home on your knees, my friend, to get down on your knees and to cry out to the Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, show me how great a sinner I am and then open my eyes that I might see Jesus as the only Savior of sinners. That's what you need to do. And Jesus, if you cry to him with a whole heart, he will save you and he will show you things that you have never seen before. Because in this world, we are all deceived by the things of the world, the love of the world, all the little trinkets and the money and the things that people have in this world. It is one massive delusion to damn our souls forever. We must cry to Jesus, Lord Jesus, teach me, show me the great truth of the Bible. That's what we need. Elijah could open the eyes of these men. Jesus can open our eyes as well as a Savior. God have mercy upon us. The second thing we see here is that Elijah establishes peace between men. In the Old Testament, the whole history, we might say, of the Old Testament, we might even say the whole history of the entire world is a history of warfare. That's really the history of the world. That's how we are the way we are today in this world. Never has there been more enmity between any group of men, perhaps, than Jews and Gentiles. This is what we find on this occasion here. The Syrians, the Gentiles, they have come down with no other purpose than to make war against the nation of Israel. They come with a great army of chariots, horses and chariots to invade the nation of Israel. They want one man above all others. They want that man, Elijah, God's prophet. And Elijah knew this. They have come for me. And what did Elijah do? 
in response to their attack? Did he bring vengeance on the Syrians? Did he seek to destroy the Syrians? He should have, surely he could have done so. When he was in the city of Dothan and the city was surrounded by all the horses of fire and the chariots of fire, the angels of God, surely he could have destroyed, called upon God to destroy that entire army of the Syrians. When he brought them captive into the capital of Samaria, he could have had the king of Israel, yes, put them to death, as the king of Israel said, shall I put them to death? He, should have said, he could have said, yes, put them all to death. As he led them blind, he could have done whatever he desired with them. At any point, Elisha could have waged war and brought vengeance on this entire Syrian army. But Elisha's purpose was not war and vengeance. His purpose throughout this entire event was peace. And he did something here which has never been seen in the history of the Old Testament. He establishes peace between an invading Gentile army and the Jewish people. And then he fed them and he sent them back to their homes in peace. As we read at the end of verse 23, that the marauding bands of Syria did not come again into the land of Israel. Elijah was a peacemaker. Establishing peace between Jews and Gentiles. And he foreshadowed the Lord Jesus to come. We can turn in our Bibles to a couple of passages in this regard. First into Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And beginning in verse 11. Paul, he reminds the Gentile believers how their salvation once belonged to the Jews only, but now by the coming of Christ, salvation has come to the Gentiles as well. And we'll read verse 13 through 16. He says, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might bring and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. We see in the beginning of verse 15 that he mentions enmity. Then again at the end of verse 16, Paul speaks of enmity again. He speaks of the enmity which existed for centuries. The bitter, intense hostility between Jews and Gentiles. Salvation was to be was from the Jews. And only the Jews could enter the temple in Jerusalem and worship, and there was enmity continuously between Jews and Gentiles. But in Jesus Christ, by his death upon the cross, he has removed that enmity, and he has established peace between them 
And he has brought Jews and Gentiles together into this one new body, which is the church, as he says in the beginning of verse 14. He himself is our peace who has made both groups into one. And then again at the end of verse 15, that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace and might reconcile them both in one body to God. The key word I think there is the blood of Jesus is what has accomplished this how? By making us into new men. By making the two into one new man. We are all new men in Christ. He has changed our hearts. He has taken away that natural hatred and enmity that we have for our fellow man. And he puts love in the hearts of Christians. The spirit gives love, joy, and peace. And so he brings Jews and Gentiles out of that bitter hostility and that long-standing deep hatred and he established peace between them. It is the one of the great accomplishments and the achievements of the death of Christ. And this is what Elijah is really doing back in 2 Kings chapter 6. He took the most bitter enemies, the Syrians and the Jews. He establishes peace between them. And not only did Jesus establish peace between Jews and Gentiles, but he came to establish peace between all men as well. A peacemaker, a peacemaker is one of the marks of the disciples of Jesus. Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. He said to his disciples, be at peace with one another. Jesus is an example, the perfect example of being a peacemaker. Even when he was hung upon the cross, Peter tells us that while being reviled, he did not revile in return. And while suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And so the entire New Testament exhorts Christians to be at peace with men. Hebrews chapter 12 says, pursue peace with all men. Peter writes to persecuted Christians and he says, let them seek peace and pursue it. Another important passage, Romans chapter 12. We'll turn there for a moment, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, we'll read verses 17 through 19. Paul says in verse 17, he says, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, as far, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, Paul here, he speaks of our relationship as individual, private citizens with our fellow men in this world. In this context, he speaks of evils that are being done against us, and he refers to persecutions and real crimes that ought to be punished by the civil government. 
And if we look back up to verse 14, he says, Bless those who persecute you, bless and curse not. And then in chapter 13, Paul begins to speak about the civil government as the institution of God's wrath against those who do evil and commit crimes against others. So when he says in verse 17, never pay back evil for evil to anyone, he is not speaking of someone committing a a minor offense to us. Perhaps someone gives us a, a funny look or they treat us with some contempt. They speak perhaps evil of us, some other kind of minor annoyance, which we may not like. But Paul here is speaking of persecution, persecution in this context and real crimes against us. And he is telling us, he is forbidding us to take justice into our own hands and pay back evil for evil. We are not to allow feelings of vengeance to rise in our hearts. We are not to take any act of retribution against our fellow man. Vengeance belongs to God. And even when we are persecuted and crimes are committed against us, we are not to we are to leave we are to leave the execution of justice to God through the civil magistrate which is what they ought to do then he says in verse 18 that as far as it is possible as far as it depends on us we are to make every effort to be at peace with all men not just those who are in the church but all men those who are outside as well so long as our christian truth and duty is not sacrificed we are to be peacemakers and peace is to be our constant aim with all men then he says in verse 20 and 21 he says but if your enemy is hungry feed him and if he is thirsty Give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now Paul takes it a step further. Not only are we not to do harm to our enemies and take vengeance upon them, but now he tells us we are to do good to our enemies. And in doing good to them, We overcome their evil. There are times when our doing good, when the good of Christians overcomes their enemies and makes them their friends. That has happened. That can happen. But even if it does not make our enemies our friends, our enemies still stand in awe and wonder at the peacemaking of Christians. And even if it doesn't change our enemies into friends, our peacemaking and our good will only increase the wrath of God upon them as we see in the end it belongs to the Lord. So this is what exactly, this is exactly what Elijah did in our In our passage, Elijah was a literal fulfillment of what Paul speaks of here. He blessed those who persecuted him. His enemy 
The Syrians, they have come down to do evil, and rather than taking vengeance, he does good to them. The Syrians are hungry, and Paul and Elijah feeds them, as Paul says in verse 20. They were thirsty, and he gave them drink. And in verse 21, he overcame their evil with his good. So Elijah was a perfect fulfillment of these verses. A rare thing, a very difficult thing. I am not saying that it is easy. It only is by the grace of God and the power of God, but to be a peacemaker. Elijah was such a man, and in so doing, he was a type of Christ to come. One of the distinguishing marks of Christianity is that it is always a religion that promotes peace among men, which cannot be said of other religions. Wherever true Christianity has come, it has always had this tendency to produce peace among men. And it is something that we should remember, especially in these times when there is increasing division, hatred, and enmity existing among all kinds of people in this world. We are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, and we are to be peacemakers like our Lord Jesus Christ and like Elijah. So we turn back in our Bibles now to Second Kings chapter 6. Second Kings and back to chapter 6. And we conclude our sermon this morning with a third way in which Elijah was a type of Christ. And the third way is this, 2 Kings chapter 6 now, Elijah gave life to those who deserved death. He gave life to those who deserved death. On other occasions in the Old Testament, whenever one army would conquer another army, they would put all of their enemy army to death. When the Israelites went up against the Amalekites back in the book of Exodus, we read this, or in the, in the book of 1 Samuel, perhaps it was, that they utterly destroyed, they utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. When Joab fought against Edom, we read that he struck down every male. We read the same thing on other occasions with King David and with others. It was the common practice of nations that when they conquered an enemy, they put their entire enemy to death. And there was really no reason for it to be different on this occasion. The Syrians were the enemies of God. They had transgressed. They had come down into God's land as invaders. They had come to do great harm. They were worthy of death. And that's why the king of Israel cried out to Elijah in verse 21. He said, my father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? He wanted to put them to death. Elijah gave them him the answer. There in verse 22, he said, you shall not kill them. And he was God's prophet. And Elijah was speaking God's word to show that God's desire toward these men on this occasion, though they deserve death, God takes no desire in putting men to death, and he would rather that men live. The Lord says in Ezekiel chapter 33, he says, as I live, says the Lord, 
I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked would turn from his way and live. And Elijah sent on this occasion to speak God's word, to take God's enemies and to save them from death and give them life. And he in this is a type of Jesus Christ who was to come because Christ takes sinners who deserve death and gives them life. The whole reason why Jesus came into the world was to save men from death, eternal death. John chapter 3, John tells us God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. The disciples cried out against that Samaritan village that fire would come down from heaven upon them. And Jesus had to reprove his disciples. And he said, you do not know what kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. The Son of God has come to give life. Eternal life to sinners. Elijah not only saves them from death, And gives them life here. But he does this most amazing thing. He has this great banquet table. And he presents them with a great feast. A most amazing thing. Jews and Gentiles. Sitting together. Men who have been at such great enmity with one another. Sitting together in peace. At a great feast. And eating the meal. And drinking Their eyes now opened and they can see as they should and they are at peace and they have this great feast and they have life and not death. A glimpse of the eternal world when Jews and Gentiles will sit down at the great banquet of heaven as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus said many shall come from the east and from the west from the Gentile lands and they shall recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob In the kingdom of heaven, Jews and Gentiles together, their eyes open, they're at peace, and they have life, and they eat the great banquet. We are all by nature, like these Syrians who invaded Israel so long ago. Because we are by nature God's enemies, we've transgressed, we've sinned against him, we are worthy of death. And the justice of God cries out against us, shall I put them to death? Shall I put them to death? And Jesus, as our Savior on the cross, says, no, you shall not put them to death. You shall give them eternal life. For all who believe in the Lord Jesus, you shall give them life. And they shall sit down at my table in the kingdom of heaven. They shall recline many from the east and from the west, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in that glorious feast of heaven, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and they shall have eternal life. What an amazing thing. Elijah is a type of Christ to come. And Christ has come, and he has finished all the great work. And may we all believe in him for eternal life. Let's pray together. Father and gracious God in heaven, thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ who has come down from heaven 
to accomplish these most wonderful things, to deliver us out of sin and its power and guilt, to bring about that our eyes would be open to see the truth, that we would have peace, and that we would have eternal life. Lord Jesus, may you be pleased to bless each and every one of us here today, young and old, and bring all of us to know Jesus and the forgiveness of our sins and the cleansing of his blood. Have great mercy upon us. Make your word to be living and powerful in us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.